Welcome to Sungha and Raz's Nutrition Perspectives. Come along with us as we explore diversity in dietetics. Hi everyone, my name is Sungha. Um, I've got um, another lovely guest on today um, and I'm going to let my co-host and the guest introduce themselves. Um, so fire away. Hi, it's Raz and today we've got a special guest who also happens to be my sister. Um, so I'm not mm-hmm. going to chat for much longer. Barney, why don't you take it away? So hi everyone, I'm Barney. I am a junior doctor uh, working in South London at the moment. I work in psychiatry. I can officially call myself a psychiatrist now I've passed all my exams. Um, And I am working on a project at the moment around differential attainment. Um, And I'll go into that in a little bit more detail a little bit later on in the podcast. But it's essentially around diversity in the medical world. I think that's probably why I was invited onto this podcast in particular. So hopefully we can talk about that in a bit more detail later on. So thank you for that. And I think um, it's quite an interesting take, isn't it? Because usually we would interview dietitians or maybe we have some student dietitians coming on as well. Um, But actually, we never really branched out that much from what we're kind of discussing. Um, And it's going to be a very interesting take, I think, um, coming from uh, maybe another medical professional. Um, And in particular, as you mentioned, Bunny, the differential attainment. Um, Definitely a new term for me. I had to Google that for sure. So I'm glad that you've come on here to talk about it. Um, but I think um, how, how our guests come on, we're going to ask similar questions anyways. Um, we do want to know a little bit more about, uh, you know, your lived experiences as a health professional. Um, kind of geared towards, I guess, because we're talking about diversity. Um, I don't know if you have any sort of funny stories or any sort of experiences you'd like to share with us today um, about that. Yeah, so I had to think quite hard about sort of lived experiences and, and from a diversity point of view. Um, mm. When I did, I actually came up with a few. So I guess around my colleagues, I couldn't think of very many at all. Um, but mm. most of my kind of diversity issues have been with patients, really, uh, which wasn't something I was expecting coming out of medical school. It wasn't something you were ever sort of taught how to deal with. Um, but mm. I think one of the sort of slightly oddest, but also quite funny stories I had was when I was working for an old age psychiatry team. So we get sent uh, appointments. And so the patient gets sent the appointment and then we as the doctor get sent the appointment as well. Um, And so I was due to see this lady in her own home for a home visit, which is very normal for an old age team. And the day before I was due to see her, the team based got a phone call that she'd cancelled. And I asked her, I said, you know, what made you cancel and then uncancel? And she said, I saw, I got the letter for the appointment and I saw your name on the letter and it was a foreign name. And I just sort of thought that I couldn't really be bothered dealing with another foreign professional again. Um, and I said, oh, okay, but then what, what made you uncancel then? And she said, well, you called me up and you didn't have an accent and you sounded very nice and so I thought maybe and I have been struggling with my mental health so I thought maybe it would be useful and maybe you would understand and so at that point I kind of said to her well you know you're about to cancel an appointment that that you actually needed really um just because you saw a foreign name on a letter and you know thinking about that 
if you had cancelled it and I hadn't called you and you hadn't uncancelled it, then it's only sort of you who would have lost out, really. Um, so we had that conversation. She very much disagreed with my point of view. Um, mm. But we carried, I, I saw her several more times after that. We developed quite a good relationship. Um, and we left the diversity issue at that, really. So that was, yeah, mm. a fairly overt, I don't know, I don't know if I'd quite call it racism, but sort of discrim discriminatory thinking um, that affects sure. me. I mean, that's really shocking, to be honest. And I think it just shows, I know we've mentioned this in a previous podcast about the importance of getting names right, but just the assumptions which are made on names alone. And I think something which I find quite interesting is in our previous podcast, we've, as dietitians, we've kind of spoke about tricky situations with other colleagues, whereas touching on tricky situations with patients is not something we've actually spoken about. But I think a lot of us actually have experienced that, you know, I often get confused for a patient as I'm a wheelchair user, even though I'm in scrubs. How would you deal with that situation differently or would you now knowing what has happened? In, in the sense of sort of confronting the lady about it, the patient? Yeah, would you do anything different? now that the situation has happened? I don't think so, actually. I think I confronted it in a fairly direct way, um, but in a way that wasn't sort of judgmental. Um, I think I've found that that's sort of one of the better ways of doing it is to, um, when you see these kinds of issues, is to confront it in quite a pragmatic way mm -hmm. that makes the benefit to whoever you're talking to, your patient, your colleague, or whatever, clear. Um, or the unbenefit in this case clear that because of her discriminatory thoughts, she was going to lose out on healthcare and on care for her mental health. And putting it in that quite practical, pragmatic way, I think is a sort of non-judgmental, quite open-ended way of talking about discrimination and racism in a way that people don't sort of double down, get defensive with. And we had a good working relationship after that. So it sort of ended up all right. Yeah, you're right, because I think that's part of the issue. When you use the words racism and discrimination, people tend to get their backs up quite quickly. I was going to say, I don't think, as you said, it was overt. I think for sure for you mm -hmm. coming in, you just never thought you'd, you'd have that judgment from a patient, right? Just by looking at your name, they deny their own health care mm -hmm. um, based on that assumption, which um, I think is pretty pretty remarkable, to be honest. I think people being able to kind of get to that length of, um, in their head, kind of what we would call discrimination, but there it's just an assumption. Maybe past experiences have kind of predisposed them to that, but um, I think that's quite incredible. And I was just gonna say like, uh, in terms of, because you said you built a rapport with the patient eventually, didn't you? I don't know if that's kind of like cleared up that assumption. Do you feel like you've kind of gotten through to this patient? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think the, I think, having experiences like that is the best way of kind of changing people's views on on different races and different international backgrounds. I'd like to think that my one experience with her has made her into a non-racist person, but I think I'd be really not needed thinking <laughs> that. But I'd, maybe, maybe a more realistic way of putting it is it's like a drop in an ocean mm. and many, many, many of those drops will add together to make a change of view for her.
I think it kind of goes in a circle, doesn't it? Reaches between the workforce who are patients and society in general, isn't it? it kind of trickles down to everything we do. Um, but how interesting. I'm glad you got through to her anyways, in terms of uh, building that rapport and um, getting her to agree for the next appointment. Yeah. I suppose. It, was, it ended up being a nightmare discharging her when the end of Oh, God. Um, have you heard anything like this from your colleagues or do you feel like that's sort of more of a, a thing that you've experienced personally um, rather than hearing it from others? Um, so occasionally, I have to say it's not it's not something that happens to me personally very often. And I've not heard mm. very much of it from my colleagues, but every now and again you do hear a huge range of sort of doctors from every country around the world virtually. And so a patient would come in see a doctor and request to see another doctor and then get another ethnic minority doctor and then request to see another doctor <laughs> and then by that point oh. you sort of realize the pattern and um, so you start right. like sending a male in and then then rejecting them and sending a woman in but both of different ethnicities and then you kind of realize oh this is it's it's not a gender problem it's a race problem mm -hmm. um and i wouldn't mm. say that happens often but it happens uh, often enough that I that it's not a shock to me anymore mm, which is actually bad in a way I mean I'm, I'm glad that you know you're able to kind of see that issue now and not be like completely taken aback by it I suppose and probably a good point is you know you've got to maintain professionalism right you've got to approach it in a non-judgmental you know pragmatic way even though they've judged you you know you can't subconsciously you know, you, you, you try not to judge them back um, because of it, because we have to try and treat everyone equally. If it keeps um, happening repetitively, it, can you, it, do they have to have treatment? Like, can, can you <laughs> decline treatment? Because surely start... So, so yeah, legal, from a legal point of view, you can capacitously decline whatever treatment you want. Mm -hmm. And patients usually aren't, sort of over or frank in their asking for a white doctor. So be very, very rare. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen it where a patient will specifically ask for a white doctor, but they'll just sort of make up excuses to say why the doctor who's seeing them isn't appropriate. Yeah. But you can't I don't think you can demand a white doctor. Certainly in the A and E I've worked at, if they did, there would be no doctors on the floor to see them. <laughs> so their choice would be be seen by an ethnic minority doctor or go home. So I don't think you can demand to, but it's also our job if someone is unwell to try and make them feel as comfortable as possible mm. within boundaries of us not being racially abused. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, at what point is it like racial abuse to start numbers? Yeah, and then you'd be like, hang on a second. I think, I think that boundary is fairly clear in this context mm -hmm. of like, someone shouting racially abusive slurs or I think actively saying that they didn't want a specific race of doctor would be racially abusive to that race of doctor mm -hmm. um, if they said it to them. Um, but like I said, that's very rare nowadays. I think it's sort of universally accepted that that's unacceptable behavior. Mm -hmm. um, especially I, was, I worked in A&E for quite a long time um, and there'd be patients who came in and would request to see another doctor. I worked in a very diverse A&E, so it, we don't see that. It's always done in a much more subtle way. Just wondering if that would merge into perhaps the reason why they are is, you know, secondary to the mental health problem that they might have or 
you know, their medical history. I mean, yeah, it then becomes much more complicated. You see it a lot with sort of patients with dementia who have grown up through an era where racism has been much more over, much more sort of accepted. Um, and then part of their brain illness, to put it bluntly, is that they regress back to older memories, back to older times, and how how much of that is their mm. fault, as it were, or within their control, mm. and they're ill and they need treatment. So yeah, there are always things that contribute to people's views, I guess. And in which case, would you then just get another doctor in that they would be a little bit more less abusive? Yeah, you? I think that's yeah. then in everyone's interest. It's probably in the doctor's interest who's treating them that they're not racially abused. Um, and it's probably also in the patient's interest because I guess because of their illness, the colour of their doctor is making them more distressed um, and not helping yeah. with their treatment. So if if you're sort of comfortable with the fact that it's not their fault, as it were. And then you get into big arguments about is anything anyone's fault and does anyone have any control over anything anyway? Diversity and race. So, for example, I'm, I'm a psychiatrist now. And within psychiatry, um, particularly within sort of inpatient psychiatry where um, people are at their most unwell, there's a lot of verbal aggression, there's a lot of physical violence, there's a lot of sort of sexual violence towards female nursing staff um, and groups have been made for people to kind of deal with all all that different types of aggression whether it's racially uh, sort of aimed or whether it's sexual violence or all of those things um, and psychiatry is quite good at providing support for that um, but specifically mm. racial abuse support in other areas of medicine I've not come across that's not to say it doesn't exist i think generally doctors are quite thoughtful about these things um but i've not come across it so far no i've not either and i remember when i was working in mental health one of my friends who was a doctor um she was black and she really struggled to deal with the abuse from patients the racial abuse she got from patients and I, she didn't know how to escalate it and also the additional caveat of when they are mentally unwell, what can really be done about it as well, um, and what must be going through their mind. I do think, I know trusts are beginning to have more diverse support groups, so a trust fame group, a trust disability group, and I don't know if that needs to be a potentially a bigger support for staff members going forward as well i think that will come especially with the sort of covid pandemic recently certainly in my trust um, because bame professionals were at such high risk mm -hmm. there were sort of very specific bame covid groups that i think will continue with other bame issues from now on and mm -hmm. um, so sort of like mm -hmm. people's hands have been forced but in a positive way yeah and i think this actually brings us on quite nicely to some of our next questions. So we know that obviously diversity in medicine, especially compared to diversity in dietetics, is very different. We know that medicine is quite diverse. Could you tell us a little bit more about diversity in medicine, maybe what some of the issues are, and maybe you could touch on like your differential attainment. Looking at the sort of NHS as a workforce, uh, white British 
workers make up about 80% of the workforce. Mm. Um, if you look at doctors specifically, that number goes down to about 55%. So it's quite a big difference. And the medical workforce is hugely diverse. Um, and that's out of necessity, really. With a universal healthcare system, you need more doctors than UK medical schools can provide. Um, so it's inevitable that we'll have international doctors and doctors of sort of British fame heritage. And there's no two ways about that. As a country, we we love the NHS and everyone wants to protect the NHS. And with that comes international doctors and a diverse medical workforce. We No one can get away from that. So the sort of research into diversity within the medical workforce comes from a real practical point of view where people have gone, well, we have to have these doctors. We, we can't we can't send them back. We can't have only white British doctors because they just wouldn't be enough. Um, and so how do we, like, is there a difference between the white British doctors and the international doctors? Um, and how can we look into that a bit more? So that's where sort of differential attainment comes into play. So because, because of this diverse workforce, quite a lot of work has been done um, into comparing white British doctors, British fame doctors and international doctors. It really came about in sort of the early 2010s when there's an organisation called the British Association of Physicians of Indian Origin. They noticed that it was a GP exam, so an exam that you have to take to become a fully fledged GP. There's a massive difference between the pass rates of British graduates and the pass rates of Indian graduates. And they ended up taking the Royal College to court in 2013 over this, um, claiming that it was unlawful discrimination. They lost the case, um, but the judge gave the Royal College of GPs really, really clear rules and guidelines as to how to stop this happening again. And if this trend were to continue, the judge sort of said to the Royal College, then uh, the association would be well within their grounds to take this to court again and would be likely to win, actually. And it's consistent and it's very clear. It's statistically significant. And so it's caused this sort of quite big problem because no one really knows why. I don't think people think that international graduates are less bright than white British graduates. I think that it's clear that that's not the case. Language has been looked into, but that doesn't seem to completely... Um, answer the question. Various sort of factors, socioeconomic factors have been looked into and that doesn't seem to answer the question either. So, oh, direct racism has been looked into and it it shows that there's sort of minimal actual sort of overt racism within the examining standards. Um, so it looks like it's sort of a big mix of lots of different factors um, that mean that international graduates tend to do worse on exams than white British graduates. And that goes, starts at medical school and goes up all the way to consultant level interviews even. Um, so it's all across the board. Something you don't think about is it? Because you would, like you said, obviously the workforce, when you see it, you know, NHS is so diverse, um, you know, all the way through nursing to doctors, except probably dietitians, which is why we're here kind of talking about um, the differences there but you never would think that 
because we've got that workforce already, um, the attainment then doesn't reflect that. Um, there's still differences within that, um, which is very interesting. As you say, it's multifactorial. And I'm wondering at every level, you know, through to kind of like interviewing or exams, are there, their, you know, their own set of issues or is it the attitude that we have, um, you know, accepting BAME or accepting diversity in workforces that is still kind of ingrained, I suppose, even though we've gotten to a stage where, you know, we're, we're diverse, as we say, um, and particularly for the, the doctors. Um, so that's very interesting. I'm just trying to see, like, the differences in dietetics, I guess. We're thinking that, you know, we're, our workforce isn't diverse enough. So once we do recruit them, are we going to have the same issues that we're going to face again with, you know, as you said, differential attainment? What, which website did you say would have a good, um, I guess, a definition for it or... Um, something we can read into a little bit more. Um, um, so no. <laughs> the GMC talks about it quite a lot. Um, so okay. you should be able to get sort of a, a definition plus a few statistics about sort of where it's the case, why it's the case, that kind of thing. Mm, I think it's a, a good example of how you can have a diverse workforce, but there are still issues within that. So. I know some places deal with diversity by having a quota, but it's more about changing people's perceptions and attitudes. I guess comparatively to dietetics, we mm. obviously in the UK, we do not have that international workforce, but you categorise them into like the people who do best at the white British, then it's the British fame and then the international. I know you were saying it was multifactorial. Are any of those multifactorial mm. reasons known? Because I know you've spoken about the ones which are definitely not the cause but are any of the causes known so what sort of a more up-and-coming kind of theory I guess is the theory of the social network um, and that is that all of your social interactions with anyone sort of affect how how you work how well you work and then go on to affect interactions with other people so your seniors your colleagues etc and from medical school, uh, the social network of, for example, British BAME undergraduates and white British undergraduates are very separate. So they did a study in UCL medical school uh, a few years ago where they sort of literally mapped out a like a spider chart of all the friendships of people in medical school and put, I think it was a yellow colour for the white undergraduates and a blue colour for the BAME undergraduates um, and they like very rarely overlapped the friendships were really clear cut and divided um, and then within those social networks you um, share resources you share the um, like textbooks you like the websites you like you share all your multiple choice question banks around tend to gravitate towards teachers or professors that are more like your social network already and they're the teachers and professors that tend to gravitate towards you as well um, and then when you've got a system where those teachers and professors in higher positions are white British and um, the BAME doctors don't tend to make it to those levels at least not so far and it becomes sort of a self-perpetuating cycle where you have no one to look up to and no one to pull you up either and therefore you can't go up to pull up those below you. 
Um, so the social network is sort of a thing that's being looked into a bit more as one of the potential causes for differential attainment. And when you look back to your university experience and your social networks, is that what you saw? Yeah, probably. I think culturally, so I went to Manchester, which is a very, very diverse UK medical school. I think the diversity was there. We were probably at least 50% BAME or around there. And although there was some, and, and that's to be expected as well, there's going to be some um, cross-cultural friendships. I think it would be fair to say that most friendships were separated by race, or at least there was a pattern where that happened. Yeah, sorry, I'm just thinking back to our university experience. Although it did change throughout <laughs> the years, by final year, in our course, the small handful of AIM people sat together. Yeah, no, I think, um, actually, just coming from uh, my first degree in biomedical science, um, it's like a, a cohort of 300 people of doing like common year one um, and obviously quite diverse as well. Um, I'd say even more so um, than 50%, you know, maybe a little bit more of, a, um, of, of it being like a different diverse background coming in. We've got lots of international students coming in. Um, and it's quite funny that, you know, you come over from overseas and you tend to find, you know, they, they stick in sort of friendship groups maybe that they relate to more. Um, and you'll find that they kind of sit together a bit more, as you said, Raz, you know, the, the ethnic minorities might sit together. Their social network is also, uh, you know, BAME. Like you said, there'll be some cross-cultural interactions. Um, but largely, I'd say people do kind of stick to, um, you know, what they're familiar with, maybe. Um, and I don't know if it is, you know, maybe down to the universities or the culture itself when we're studying to kind of start that process of being a bit more integral, um, kind of promoting, you know, the fact that you'll be working with, um, you know, colleagues from all sorts of backgrounds, um, getting them mixing a bit more, I suppose. I've also just been thinking about it and obviously mm. we don't want to put words into your mouth, Barney, but both of us are from an area where it's primarily white. And I don't think we experienced that in our school years. And that was almost because we didn't have a choice. We either, <laughs> we had white friends or we had no friends. And so I wonder why, when it went to university, why it changed. I think something's very practical and very like, understandable so for example international graduates tend to be at uni during the summer or like during holidays when no one else is around so it sort of makes sense that they're going to make friends with other international graduates who are there because otherwise they don't have any friends during the holidays when everyone else has gone home to their parents um one thing that came up when i was doing my research on different entertainment was like the drinking culture mm. um and how i remember when i was at medical school in freshers week the socials were very heavily sort of around drinking um and that can if, if you're not a drinker then you're going to feel very left out in those kinds of situations so i think some things are very practical and you can understand why they happen one thing that it the some of the research has shown is at my medical school we were put into randomly assigned groups for problem-based learning the groups of 12 
Um, and you tended to make friends with that group of 12. You went to all your tutorials together. You went to all of your like seminars and things together. Um, and that was a way that really increased uh, sort of diverse friendships. And when they looked at that spider diagram of friendships, the ones that did cross cultural lines tended to be from randomly assigned tutor groups or problem-based learning groups. So maybe that's a way that uh, those lines can be crossed. I think we'll probably have to start with having a mix first of all in dietetics before we can start yeah. watching groups. <laughs> Why do you guys think that um, there's such an undiverse workforce in, diet in dietetics? Why, why isn't there anyone coming through? Oh gosh, where do we start? <laughs> so I think the first thing to say is this isn't looked into, that we don't have figures and facts in the UK. So the HTPC and the BGA do not have any numbers on any of this. So everything we have is pretty much a shot in the dark or it's taken from America. Um, but blatantly we can see that dietetics is very poorly diverse. I think it's a number of reasons. We know that um, ethnic minorities are more likely to fail off the course. Um, I don't know if that's the same in medicine. Um, and we think that is potentially, I mean, I wonder if and now you've mentioned this, they wonder whether... Um, differential attainment plays a bit of a role in this um, and actually I think in placements there are a lot of lived experience of ethnic minority dietitians where they discuss essentially being treated more harshly compared with their white counterparts and I think the other thing with placements and marking is especially in non-diverse departments I think probably there is a huge level of unconscious bias with that as well? Um, I think probably from, and I know it's due to many reasons, as you said, but I guess from a personal level, um, you know, being of, of sort of like a Chinese background, it's not a common profession for us to go into, first of all. Um, and it's very ingrained, especially for like a British Asian. Um, I don't think dietitians are promoted as such in our families to sort of say oh yeah you know what I want my kid to grow up to be a dietitian um, it's still quite a new job I'd say um, in particularly in the UK and it's not even well established and particularly I know in Hong Kong you know it's not the it's not it's not a registered title either so first of all it doesn't have that much of a, a weight to um, what we would grow up being you know pushed to doing and, and particularly for my parents um, so it's kind of a, a new thing. Um, and I think it had to be, you know, I had to find that myself really, kind of falling into that um, rather than that being, you know, being brought up knowing that this is something I could do. So I think if not even at, um, you know, school, primary school, secondary school, sixth form, um, if you ask anyone now, you know, um, in sixth form, Probably a lot of them don't know that is a profession that they could go into as well, um, or, or it being like a, a registered thing, or um, you know you can do that. You could work in a hospital. Probably the general public wouldn't know that dietitians would work in a hospital. <laughs> it more will be gearing towards yeah, let, let's help the the public lose weight. Probably the main thing. Um, so I think probably the promotion part, you know, the um, getting our names out there um, is probably one thing. Um, particularly if you're trying to recruit, you're trying to get people studying it. Um, it's compared to like, you know, maybe nursing or, or becoming doctors. Um, it's just not that well known. Um, but probably our, our scope to kind of 
put a net around our workforce trying to capture them is, is smaller already. So let alone, you know, the issues that are going on, you know, what a stereotypical dietitian might be and um, all of the, um, maybe the subconscious biases that we have uh, in society into that as well. Um, probably loads of things filtering it into um, what mm. we have today. Um, but just just from, you know, me, um, how I fell into dietetics is not being straightforward. Um, as not something I know my friends would talk about or my parents would talk about or any of my cousins, you know. Um, I don't know about you guys being an Asian descent, if there's anything that, um, that might influence yeah, your choices in life, right? Yeah, I think it's life, right? a, a similar Same thing. Now. I think it's a three-pronged thing, isn't it? I think it's getting people into the profession, just like Simha said. I think once you're studying there and within the profession, it's the unconscious bias and the overt racism. And it's a similar thing about moving up, I think, as well. I know in a previous podcast, there have been dietitians with their lived experience saying, saying that they just weren't listening to it interviews. So I think it kind of follows throughout the career. I don't know how similar it is to medicine though. Um, I suppose medicine's a couple of steps ahead in that we have an already diverse workforce. Uh, but I don't think that's necessary because um, anyone worked hard for that to be the case or that was like the plan. I think it was just a necessity. Um, so we sort of got that tick, that box ticked. Um, but now I guess it's more about uh, wanting the best people for the best job. And if people's sort of unconscious bias is um, affecting that, then the best people aren't getting the best jobs for them and everyone loses. So, yeah, sort of great for us to be able to treat our patients better. And as long as they're qualified and can do the job, there's there's really sort of no downside to that. Um, and as I said before, you want the best person for the job um, and you want that to be based purely on sort of attainment rather than these characteristics that come from unconscious bias but don't really make any difference to how good someone is at working. So if you want the best workforce and if you want to provide the best care for patients, I think diversity plays into that. And then what's told non-diverse dietitians mm. to be better allies? I think dietitians, although come from a very non-diverse workforce, there's a wider workforce around them that is very diverse. So the medical workforce or the NHS in general is much more diverse than a dietetic workforce. And it's about sort of learning and becoming more comfortable with other cultures around you. And really the sort of making an active effort to like learn about other cultures. Number one, because that's just fun and interesting. Um, but also, like I said, because it will help you um, when you're looking after your patients. And then I think the other thing is to be really curious about the patients you're seeing when you come across someone from another culture. Um, ask them about it. This is something that I wasn't particularly comfortable doing until quite recently. Um, but I've always thought I don't mind people asking me questions as long as it's out of sort of genuine curiosity um, and like a willingness to learn and grow. Um, so I'll ask other people about their cultures. And if they seem uncomfortable with it, then I, I won't. And I'll realise that's, that's maybe not the right place. Um, most people like to talk about their cultures. Most people are proud of their cultures and where they come from and the things they do that are different. Um, so I think it like you're even as a non-diverse workforce, you're going to be seeing a diverse patient group. Um, and so I think it's 
it's like fun for you as well as good for your learning to learn about the patient group and what a like what better an opportunity than like the NHS to see anyone and everyone who walks through the door so yeah that would be my advice I think I think there's a common theme there isn't there kind of not being afraid to kind of ask be curious and genuinely want to to learn um because I think it comes comes across for the other person um and like you said I think everyone's mainly pretty happy to share about the culture and you know telling them about maybe their religion or um you know where they come from really so I think that's probably very good probably would build I think for me I'm getting to that stage as well trying to be a bit more comfortable in asking um but starting somewhere is probably a good thing so thank you so much Barney (laughs) um nice to see two car highs (laughs) on the podcast (laughs) in one go um I think um, we ask as well of our guests um, towards the end, I suppose, would you be happy to leave any sort of contact details or social media accounts if people wanted to reach out to discuss a bit more about this subject with you or just be curious? Um, yeah, hang on. I'm, I'm not very social media savvy, um, so, but I do have an Instagram. <laughs> Let me just find out what the tag <laughs> of the Instagram is. Give me two seconds. Or it could be an email. Yeah, maybe my, my email address is well. probably better. I'll probably see it more as well. Um, it's it's barneypreet.kahai <laughs> at nhs.net. Thank you so much, Barney. Um, I think um, I think it's been really useful to learn about that, um, and particularly coming from um, no, a doctor's point of view as well. So hopefully everyone kind of gets... Yeah, no, definitely um, get that point of view across. Join us next time, viewers, um, and hopefully... We'll have some more interesting topics to discuss in the meantime. Affected by any of the issues heard on this podcast today or want to be a better ally or support? Search Diverse Dietitian Support Group UK on Facebook and look out for further social media from us. Stay healthy, friends.